Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that had a hand in shaping metal. Please visit our website, The Metal Pit, at www.themetalpit.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Metal Pit. And for lots of cool video interviews, video shorts, and audio versions of our podcasts, you can head over to our YouTube channel at The Metal Pit 666. As always, we'd like to encourage everyone to get involved. So if you have any album suggestions for our weekly podcast or any feedback, you can email us at info at the So this is our very first episode of season number two. We ended season one with a doozy of an episode where Stacia, Blake, and Jim, and Jim is with us tonight, discussed our top 50 favorite albums of all time. We recommend you check that out to hear our number one all-time favorite metal album, which I'm not going to spoil here, but I will say it's not faith no more, much to the disappointment of our editor-in-chief, Blake. So sad. But yeah, so maybe a bit of a spoiler, not faith no more. But we're not here to talk about faith no more, as much as we love them, or Blake loves them. Um, today, we have two very distinguished guests, both colleagues of mine over at the Metal Pit, and very talented writers in their own right. We have Jim and Eric. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Doing most excellent. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. Doing good. I'm excited about this one. Um, shall we tell everyone what we're doing? Let's uh, let's do it. We're do uh, it. we're gonna talk about Megadeth. So far, so good. So what? Um, probably, I think, and maybe you guys can give your opinion on this. But I think it's one of Megadeth's most divisive divisive albums. Um, it's at least the most overlooked album, I think. Um, I don't know why that is because it's a pretty awesome album. Um, but yeah, why don't you guys tell me about your first experience with this album? Eric, take us way back. What are your... All right. Well, let's see. With Megadeth, I've got to say it would have to be the video to Peace Sells But Who's Buying. I caught that and I was like, man, this is just some pretty deep stuff. What is going on? There are American flags being burned. There are troops. It was just really intense. The music was aggressive. You had a zoom in on Mustaine's mouth, that snarl that he emits. And uh, I was hooked, man. Um, that song, yeah. that video just impacted me. Picked up the, I'm going to date myself, picked up the cassette and I was floored. Oh my God. It was just awesome. Love, love every minute of it, man. Definitely. And uh, Jim, do you remember your first time? Oh yeah, I mean, in high, in early, early years, probably my junior year of high school, uh, you know, Peace Cells was the first one that I got into, um, and then you know, again with the videos and just the story of Mustaine and and the whole split from Metallica, and in those days, such a huge fan of Metallica, and then a huge fan of Megadeth at the same time. I mean, I think one definitely, you know, you've got. Eric said it best, the snarl, you've got sort of the aggressive sort of meanness of Dave Mustaine. He's come out of that. And I think, uh, 
you know, there's there's always a lot of animosity there between Megadeth and uh, uh, Metallica fans, but I think they're two definitely two different monsters. And I think that Mustaine leaving Metallica, I mean, Megadeth is just so awesome because of it. And I mean, I know, you know, if everything went right and he, he would have stayed there or whatever, but I mean, this, the offshoot for Megadeth is just, I mean, it's changed the, uh, you know, changed thrash metal music. You have you have Metallica there who started this off and was going strong. And then you have this offshoot that came out of that. And I think it spawned a whole new fan base, more aggressive, faster. It was just so cool. And I mean, I was a total, I fell in love with it right away. Just like Metallica, just like Metallica. Awesome. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. In fact, it's kind of weird because my first experience with both men, Megadeth was my first experience. So I heard Megadeth before Metallica. And yeah. it was through, through my dad, actually. My dad had seen Megadeth on tour. I believe it was with either Dio or Alice Cooper in like 1986 for Peace Cells. And this was before me really getting into thrash. Like I was just, I was on the cusp. Like I was listening to things like Quiet Riot and, you know, that kind of stuff. Hadn't really taken the leap to heavier stuff. And then my yeah. dad got back from that concert and he was like, you gotta hear this. You gotta hear this. So he threw that on, and uh, and yeah, they were my first experience in, uh, I guess, heavier metal. Um, and then I remember in high school in shop class, um, I was a Megadeth fan, and I, I never listened to Metallica. Like this is prior to Justice, and there was other guys in the class who would throw on Master of Puppets. And I'd be like, oh, man, that sucks. What do you, we got to listen to Megadeth. And there was always a bit of rivalry there. But uh, yeah, Metallica came later for me, but Megadeth was my first. So I have a very, very soft spot or fond spot for Megadeth because of that. Um, so yeah, so, so far, so good. So what? It was released January 19th, 88 via Capitol Records. Uh, it was recorded at Music Grinder Los Angeles. And it was recorded with Paul Lanny in mid 87, who actually mixed Peace Cells. And he was originally pegged to also mix So Far So Good, but Mustaine fired him because he was too eccentric. So there, I, I read the, the book, uh, Dave Mustaine's book, and he talked about this and he said, during the recording of So Far So Good, So What, they were, or sorry, the mixing, I think they were at Paul Lanny's house and he lived on some sort of a large property with a bunch of acreage and he would just go out and peel apples and feed them to the deers when Mustaine and wanted to mix the album. So every time he tried to find them, he was like, where the, where the hell is Lanny? So he'd go outside and be feeding the deer and, <laughs> and the deer. And he said that, like, why the hell are you peeling the apples? Like, a deer doesn't need a peeled apple. They don't care. Just feed them the damn apples. So anyways, long story short, he ended up firing him. And then they brought on Michael Wagner to mix it, who mixed Master of Puppets. And uh, as it turns out, Mustaine was not happy with the final mix. And quote, he said, uh, Wagner turned everything into a pedestrian effort. <laughs> Muddy fill. Now, I don't know about you guys, but listening back, I would agree with this assessment. I think the original recording is definitely odd um, with a lot of the instrumentation getting a bit lost in the mix. You know, as a, as a youngster, I didn't notice or care, but listening back to the original now, I can definitely hear 
some of those sonic flaws uh, when you compare it to either like um, P-Cells or Rust in Peace, uh, it kind of sits on its own in that weird way. But they did remaster it in 2004, uh, remaster, remixed, and it has better clarity, but it sounds very mechanical. It's missing kind of that punch of the original. What do you guys think of the production on this one compared to other Megadeth albums? You go ahead, Jim. Yeah, again, it was, I mean, the first Megadeth album, you know, had a really muddy, muddy sound to it. And that's been, they've all been remastered, which is good. Um, you know, and, and the first Megadeth album, they, you know, Killing Is My Business, they they blew a lot of their production money, I think, but the actual album. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I in a way, I kind of like it. Like, I like the original. I have the original. I have the remix. And I mean, the remix does musically and does sound a lot better. But I kind of like the little flaws and stuff that happen. And the fact that some of the, the musicianship does get lost into it, because I think that adds to the charm. Like my favorite, uh, my favorite Megadeth album is uh, Rust in Peace. I think this would probably be tied for second or even maybe even a third, but tied for second with Peace Cells. But I like the original recording. I like to go back and listen to it um, like on my original CD. I have the cassette, but then I got the original CD once it came out a lot just after CDs were brought out. And I mean, I like that sound a little bit. I, I like the sound of the older albums. A lot of people, you know, that even Killing Is My Business, it was a bit muddy, a bit murky, but I kind of like that too. And I have both copies of it. And I, I go back to the old one quite a bit. So the production was definitely a little off, but um, I, I kind of liked it. I thought it had charm. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. Uh, what do you think, Aaron? Eric? Um, I don't have really too much to add. I mean, I, I always factor in the time frame. So 1988, you're not going to have great compression. Yeah. Um, not everything's going to, you know, the instruments aren't going to necessarily stand out that great from one another. Sure. It could have been better. Um, being that I listened to it, I listened to the album yesterday and not, not the remastered. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard that yet, but I just listened to the original yesterday and it does have a higher end. Like if it you does, listen yeah. to that and then you listen to other, some other speed or thrash metal, which I did last week and some other styles of music in that era it is a higher end on the mix. So it's yeah. could certainly have a little more like, I don't want to say bass, but I mean, a little more like punch to it, a little more yeah. lower, just a little more like mid to low to bottom end, if you will. Yeah, I would agree with that. Totally. I, I think it's actually like you were saying, Jim, I think it was Megadeth's last truly kind of raw effort because everything mm-hmm. after that was obviously far more polished. Um, you know, the, the sonic leap between this album and Rust in Peace is huge. Um, monumental yeah yeah yeah. um and uh this was actually the first album where other band members contributed to writing uh most notably uh junior dave elvison um which yeah they didn't uh, mustaine wrote the first two albums and then he uh he allowed the others to step in he stepped aside as the general and uh got other contributions i don't know what those contributions were but um i think you can tell that it's certainly a different album musically. There's a lot of a lot of different ideas going on, I think, compared to the first two albums or compared to Peace Cells. Um, and I think we also need to talk about the cover art, which I think is, I don't know, a big pile of shit. <laughs> uh, it's very ambiguous. I mean, it looks, if you look at it, it looks like Vic is on the moon. You can see Earth, like, 
off in the distance over his right shoulder. He's also holding like a flamethrower, yet he's wearing all these bullet bandoliers. It's a bit Star Warsy, a bit kitschy for my liking, and maybe a step back compared to the art of peace cells. Would you guys agree with that? Or yeah, <clears throat> it definitely yeah. has a sci-fi flavor, and uh, I never really thought of it as kind of hokey, but. You know, um, just looking at the album art yesterday, I was like, wow, this is kind of strange looking a little kind of little spacey, not as not not really psychedelic, but just it, yeah. it's a little campy, yeah. a little bit off. And the piece sells just man. I mean, that album cover is just yeah, it's oh, just phenomenal. vicious. It's yeah. it's complete. Yeah, I, I, if, I think oh, go ahead. I, I think it would be kind of even this would probably be one of the lazier covers like it just seems it see it reminds me of the Tatooine scene in Star Wars where the stormtroopers yes. are coming mm. up to the land speeder and asking for their identification. As soon as I saw <laughs> that, I thought of this. Yeah, yeah, total uh, Star Wars. Oh, that's to good. It. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the lineup. So, um, fired Gar Samuelson and Chris Poland, gone for this album. Which you know, I I would. I don't know. I as much as I like Chuck Baylor and uh, who is it? Who is the other one? Uh, oh man, I'm forgetting his name. Jeff Young. There you go. Yeah. As much as I like the, the the performance of those two on this album, uh, mm -hmm. I kind of miss the. Those guys had a bit of a a jazzy. I know they were big jazz aficionados. So if you go mm -hmm. back and listen to Peace Cells, you can actually kind of hear that influence in their performances, and that's completely lacking in this one because obviously they're not there this one's far more straightforward where like chuck baylor just you know he's not a jazz not an out there drummer he's just kind of a straight up a powerful drummer no doubt mm -hmm. and a solid drummer but not i don't think the talent that gar was and uh the same with chris poland like that guy i don't know if you ever guys ever heard his um his solo album after he was ousted from Megadeth. I can't remember the name of it now, but fucking phenomenal. I, like, I did. It's really good. And I didn't even think to look for that on Spotify. A buddy of mine bought that CD. Yeah. But um, was it like escape from Polaris or That's something it. like yep. that? But yep. it was, it was a little, it definitely had some like prog kind of speed metal, like uh hodgepodge together. I, it was good though. I, I liked it. And like you said, he's, He's more jazzy, whereas a Jeff Young is definitely more of like an alternate economy speed picker. So he's, you know, definitely a bit more technical. I think he, his playing fits the album, but I see yeah. where you're going with, uh, you know, if you listen to uh, to Peace Cells, there are some like jazzy elements, like I Ain't Superstitious, that was really obvious. But there are some other nuances in there by Poland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like like Devil's, Devil's Island would be another one off of there that's got kind of a bit of a jazz rock fusion with it as well. And I think that's pretty, pretty evident. I agree with those comments for sure. You know, and I, I kind of missed Chris Poland. I, I, you know, it's too bad the way it went down. And as we talk about the songs, there's something in there about him. But like, you know, it, it, uh, I, I agree that Young was probably more of a, more of a metal old school fit for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, it wasn't even Jeff Young that was originally brought in um, to be the the new guitarist. It was Jay Reynolds of Malice um, who was brought in, but Mustaine brought him into the studio. They got there, and it was uh, immediately clear that Reynolds was out of his league. Like he he just kept Mustaine would say, "Okay, show us what you got," and he he didn't show them anything. He just said, "Okay." Um, I think the quote from Mustaine was, 
let me call my guitar teacher, Jeff Young, and get him over here and he can help out. So they brought in, he came over and then it turned out that Mustaine was like, fuck, fuck this guy from Malice. Jeff Young is the real deal. So Reynolds was out and then Jeff Young was hired. And apparently they had to work with Jeff to totally revamp his look because he came in looking like a surfer. And uh, they, they had to work work on him to thrash him up a bit, which they did. If you look at some of the uh, uh, the promo photos for that album, uh, he has maybe a bit more teased hair going on. Maybe doesn't. Yeah, I remember he had like the, the feathered. Yeah, he had the Adam kind of kind of look going. <laughs> yeah, didn't quite fit with the other kind of a uh, rough look that um, that uh, Elphison and uh, and Mustang were pulling off at that time. But uh, let's talk about the music on this album um you know it to me it sounds like they took the aggression and attitude of punk and combined it with the speed and technicality of thrash metal like when you compare that to um peace cells but again i think this goes back to the two new guys the two new guys coming in especially chuck baylor who wasn't um quite uh quite as a efficient behind the drums it just has a very straightforward sound what do you think jim do you think it's uh a bit more I think punky in aggression? Abs- absolutely. And yeah. aggressive. I think, well, you know, Metallica had an album out this year as well, too. So I think it has, like, a lot with Dave Mustaine. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, he, I always got the feeling that there was always, you know, he always wanted to kind of come out of the gate strong and fast and heavy and harder. And, you know, his contributions to the first Metallica albums were were that. And I mean, you know, and then he got kind of sidestepped and they changed uh, a lot of it and that. But a lot of those guitar riffs right up until, you know, Kill Em All uh, mm-hmm. were on there. So I think I think that he wanted to probably come out of this like a lot different than his first two albums. And that punk vibe is definitely in there. I mean, you've got songs in there that are just they, they've got that punk vibe. It's so cool. And I think he knew you know, in his mind, what I think is he probably thought, okay, Metallica is going to go in this direction. I want to go in this direction right. and really create a divide in, in the thrash metal genre at that point between those two monsters. I mean, you know, you've got, you know, Metallica is going to go a certain way. Why don't we go this way and maybe add a little bit of a different. And, and I like that because what I like about Megadeth over the years is they tweak their sound. I find in every album, it's not all the same. They tweak it, but they just tweak it enough. Maybe Risk would be the one, they, and it's called Risk. They went a little off the side a little bit, but mm-hmm. I still like it. But I find they tweak it as opposed to a total change. And sometimes I think maybe after the Black Album with Metallica, that's where they sort of fall short for me. And I, I always like looking forward to a new, new Megadeth release, and they tweak it a little bit. I mean, the new Megadeth album, is awesome. I love it from last year, and uh, there's a lot of great tracks on it. And again, it's that tweaking as opposed to a total change. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I think uh, you know Mustaine. He definitely has has that uh, has some punk influences. I find it, and of course, you're you know coming from a guitar player here, but I feel with a lot of the Metallica riffs, you have a lot of the, the down picking, which Hetfield just he does so well. Mustaine does some really cool stuff with the 16th notes, but he also does some kind of groovy stuff and some more syncopated stuff, which I'll, I'll touch on on this album, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe on your, your favorite song, Jason, on this album. But um, 
Yeah, he, you know, Mustang definitely gives it a different spin. He's got, it's kind of punky. There's some grooves. There's just some flat out speed, you know, 200 miles per hour. Um, yeah, it's, def, it's definitely an, a different attitude. Like anybody that says, oh, Metallica and Megadeth are the same. It's like, well, you can tell, no. you know, that they're not fans of music. They know they don't know, you know, yeah. they're, they're definitely not, don't know what they're talking about there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think the rhythms and leads on this album have a really cool duality to them. Like they're chaotic and lawless, as well as being controlled and nuanced. You know, it's like nothing I have ever heard before. Like even Metallica doesn't do that. And even though it's my favorite Megadeth album, like I'll admit that, uh, you know, it's far from flawless. But like mm-hmm. what you were saying, Jim, earlier, it's the fucking flaws that I love. You know, yeah. more so than any other Megadeth album. I think it perfectly captures the band in all their chaotic glory. Like, I think Dave, at this point, uh, was probably still reeling from being ousted from Metallica. I think even to this day, he's still reeling from it. But <laughs> at that point, he was really fucking distraught. And, you know, add to that the unexpected death of Cliff, all the drugs yeah. and partying. It just makes for an album that's full of piss and vinegar. And I think even more importantly, an album that's sort of full of vulnerability. I think uh, Mustaine on this album is at his most vulnerable, and you can hear that in the tracks. Um, you know, and as such, he truly, I think he bears his soul in this album, which takes real courage. And I think he explores a lot of his insecurities on this album. You know, we're going to get to the song later, but In My Darkest Hour is an incredible example of this and easily one of Megadeth's most powerful moments. But uh, yeah, it's a really honest album. What do you think about the, um, I want to touch on the influence of drugs. They were, I think at this point uh, in their uh, career, they were really fucked up. I believe they were um, heroin, meth. Needles. Yeah, they were using needles at this point. Do you think it had any impact on the recording of this album? And if so, do you think it was a positive or negative impact? What do you think, Eric? Um, I think, I think it definitely was an impact. I remember reading something, I don't know if it was Hip Raider, Circus, could have even been a different magazine, but, uh, Mustang had mentioned that, uh, the band was just, they were spiraling out of control with their, uh, heroin use. Uh, they were like passing needles, uh, even in the studio. Um, it's kind of weird to say if there was like a, a positive or negative effect, but you would have to... I guess you'd be naive not to notice some of the the influences on the album, and I, I would th- I would say that most of them are positive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it has, Great. as you mentioned so uh, so well, Jason. It has that like controlled chaos. I mean, I feel like I feel like the the warts kind of add to the personality on the album, and yeah, some of that some it, of that's yeah. the drug use. Some of it's what Mustaine's been through. Some of the pain being kicked out of Metallica. Cliff Burton, you know, the loss of Burton. And uh, he had a relationship, too, that, that went south uh, really fast, which I'll, I'll touch on in my darkest hour. But I think the drugs certainly had an influence um, on this album. Yeah, First, so what do yeah you think, very Dan? much so. I agree. I, I think, you know, these are our heroes. So, you know, when I was younger, I mean, not so much now, we, we all know, but, uh, you know, when I was younger, these guys couldn't do no wrong in my mind. And that was part of it. And that's what the grittiness, the, you know, the constant partying, this, this is what, 
this is what it was. And I think, though, that Megadeth, I mean, if you look at a, like a movie like uh, The Decline of Western Civilization, you know, mm -hmm. you've got the producer that went down there and she creator and she interviewed all these bands. Megadeth was one of them. And I'll tell you, out of all those bands, I mean, 90 percent of them were probably considered more hair metal. Megadeth was probably the hardest band in there. I think maybe she interviewed Cryptic Slaughter. But, you know, Dave, interviewing Dave Mustaine was like interviewing this tortured soul that you could yeah. tell they were different than everything else. And I, I really like that. And that is what drove it to me. And I think I'd hate to say that, you know, drug use made it better. But I agree with Eric that like the flaws with it probably made it that much more grittier and i think uh you know in a lot of bands that happened with and and but in, in megadeth I, I think it was just the sort of everything coming to a head you had uh, like you said with mustaine still harboring probably at this point these three records into his solo uh, his career with megadeth that he created from ousted of metallica and i think uh you know He's seeing how Metall you know, Metallica just came off a big album with Master of Puppets, and then mm -hmm. you know they're getting ready to release another one, and and I think it everything was just coming to a head, and I think you can really feel that in this album. Then the next album, it seems to be a little bit more of a common, kind of a bit more of a calmer, more professional, probably cleaned up quite a bit, got some better things happening in their lives, and and, and that's what happens. So I think it unfortunately kind of adds to it not that i promote that but you know it for my listening it definitely warts and all i agree 100 percent. yeah i i liken it to like somebody like mustang to somebody like jim morrison you know yeah. where maybe the drugs worked mm. in his favor somewhat uh where they might have increased his ascetic appreciation or improved his artistic techniques or just enhanced his creative creativity somehow you know the first three albums were heavily were written under heavily heavy influence and like you mentioned jim rest in peace i think they were starting to get cleaned up but i think there was still yeah. some drug use but oh, yeah. uh you know you can really hear the difference between those first three albums to rest in peace forward so yeah i mean i think this is the one album kind of right in the middle um, i'm glad we got it i'm not happy that dave had to go through all that shit to create this album but we got an awesome album out of it. And I just have a quick quote from Mustaine about this point. He says, in the beginning, when me and Junior wanted to intoxicate ourselves, a mix of beer and pot satisfied us. But I was fascinated by the fact that I could become a real junkie. I really wanted it to happen. I wasn't a very interesting guy. I had a problem with everybody. I didn't notice that I was completely ruining my image. For five whole years, I was throwing away $500 a day for fresh material. And a, on that note, a fun fact, well, maybe not so fun fact, but fact, uh, sad fact, I would say, is most of this album's budget went up their noses and in their veins. Yeah. And I think mm. it resulted in a lot of corners being cut. Um, you know, had had they not been you know blowing all that money on drugs we might have got a, a very different album it's pretty yeah. interesting yeah. Yeah. Wow. uh another fun fact did you guys know that uh after leaving slayer dave lombardo was considering joining megadeth for the recording of so far so good yes i had read yeah. that I, yes yeah i, 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 I didn't know heard, that so i also I thought, had read that too yeah, yeah. And then he said, I think he said, after meeting them, he saw how heavily into drugs they were, and he really wasn't into that scene. Uh, he 
quoted many years later saying they didn't look too healthy. They looked pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if you look back at those promos or watch videos, I think there's a, uh, a famous interview with them with much music Canada where um, I think they were on tour for the album, but they were completely fucked out of their minds when they were being interviewed. And they just, they just looked like they crawled out of a sewer. You know, it was just a really, really bad look. Um, but yeah, I think it also looking back on it, I think it worked for them. That image kind of what they were going through and the image they were, I don't think they were portraying an image, but how they looked at that time, kind of ties in with this album like the two of them together just fit perfectly kind of that gutter look and the music all tied in together it's just like a, a really i don't know it really has that punk do-it-yourself kind of attitude to it so um it sucks they went through that but uh, i'm glad they were turning it around and also slash at this time was being considered as the new guitarist of megadeth i think oh, this was, i didn't know that that yeah, i didn't hear okay it was a bit before GNR blew up with Appetite for Destruction. GNR was mm -hmm. kind of toiling at this time. And uh, I actually have a quote from Slash about this. So he says, um, I crashed wherever I could. This was in LA and did whatever came to mind. And there was a point in there when I hooked up with Mustaine. We became friends. He was strung out on smack and crack and he lived in the same neighborhood. So we hung out and wrote songs. He was a true, complete fucking maniac and a genius riff writer. We'd hang out, smoke crack, and come up with major heavy metal riffs, just fucking dark and heavy as hell. Sometimes Junior would join us. We got along great. We wrote some great shit. It got to the point in our drug-fueled creative zone that we started seriously entertaining the idea of me joining Megadeth. Now, could, could you guys imagine Slash and Megadeth? Wow. <laughs> I don't think so, but <laughs> I'd give it a shot. I mean, I'd yeah. try it out, but... Well, that speaks volumes, I guess, to I always had this preconceived notion about Slash as not being a thrash guy, but obviously he comes from that scene as well. So, uh, mm. you know, obviously he could uh, handle those songs. Um, well, let's get into the songs. So All first right. track, Into the Lungs of Hell. And I'm going to I'm going to do what uh, Blake does here. Played eight times live since <laughs> eight times. Mm. Can you believe that? Man, it's a short song, but it's a short yeah. song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eric, what do you think of Into the Lungs of Hell? Uh, what an awesome combination of riffing and lead guitar. The uh, mm. tapping elevates this instrumental. And don't sleep on those uh, triplets with the oh, uh, with the drum, those drums, man. Wow, he's got the kick drums going there. Absolutely. Very cool. And the taps, those taps in that song, incredible. Mm. It just uh, takes you to another place. Uh, what do you think, Jim? Oh, it's a wicked, wicked instrumental. And I mean, I'm glad Eric went first. He's a musician by trade here. So he knows a lot more about it than I do. But I love, I mean, as a fan, I love it. I love it. You know, they took a, a little bit of a risk on this one. I mean, they, they put this right out right first. And I think it, it sets the tone for the album. I, I really, really like it. And I mean, there's even some synthesized horns in there too. And it's, it's a great start to the album. And, uh, you know, I always... I, it, a lot of instrumentals or intros, that sort of thing, a lot of people skip. This is definitely one that you do not skip, for sure. Yeah, I think it sets a really dramatic and moody tone for the album, like right yeah. off the bat. And it just uh, it just takes you to that place. Like, it immediately takes you. You know where this album is going when you hear this song. Um, yeah. Interesting fact, 
they used to play the song live as far back as 85 with Samuelson in Poland. And I, I believe it's, uh, oh, maybe not this one. This song is, I was going to say it's one of the first song that Mustaine ever wrote after being ousted from Metallica, but it's not Set the World Afire. The next song is. That's but, right. Yeah, Into the Lungs of Hell. Um, I did see a video on YouTube where they played it back in 85. It sounded quite a bit different with Samuelson and Poland on it, but uh, it was cool nonetheless. So that, yeah, that brings us to Set the World Afire, played 285 times. Um, Jim, what do you think about Set the World Afire? Uh, like you said, this was the first one he wrote. I, and, you know, here it is on on the number third, the third album, um, you know, when he got ousted from Metallica. He wrote it on the bus drive, on the bus ride back to L.A. And I believe he wrote it with a pencil on a cupcake wrapper, according yeah, to what yeah. I've read. Yeah. So that, that's, <laughs> and, that's really, really cool. I mean, you think about that. I'd love to have that wrapper. Um, but it's so cool. I mean, it the track, it's not my favorite track on it, but it is such an aggressive track. I mean, you have that little intro that 1941 song don't want to set the world on fire by the ink spots who, whoever they were but it's cool how it opens up with that and it just it, it's kind of a face melter right off the bat and i i absolutely love it i mean it's a great 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 track um i have some other favorites on here but this would be in my top half of the album for sure yeah. but it's a, a wicked song yeah, I think going back to the writing the uh, the lyrics on the cupcake wrapper, uh, fans actually refer so hardcore fans refer to it as the cupcake song. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And Eric, what do you what do you think about set the world of fire? I'm looking at my notes and I I, I feel like I should have written more about it. Um, it's a great tune first and foremost. Um, a barrage of sixteenth notes man, begins this inferno of a song at the uh, fifty eight second mark. Dave's new rhythm was arguably the most original riff I had heard back in 88. Uh, he just made such a statement. It had this attitude, but it had this technical, he showed his technical ability. And again, it has just that, that, uh, that snarl of Mustangs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you want tempo changes with a snarl, Megadeth has you covered. Dave and Absolutely. Jeff uh, also offer some soaring solos. Yeah. Love that also- song. Those two work yeah. well together on this on this song yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it also has one of Megadeth's catchiest grooves ever. Um, totally. Art is a uh, the lyric that goes distorted figures walk the street. Oh yeah, nineteen ninety nine. I fucking love that part. It's such a that's yeah. so killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such right an odd with groove, you. but a really cool mm-hmm. groove. Um, interesting. There's a interestingly there's a, a lyric in the song where Mustaine paraphrases a quote by Einstein about World War Four. Uh, where Einstein said, I do not know how the Third World War will be fought, but I can tell you what they will use in the fourth, rocks. And Mustaine paraphrased that quote as saying, uh, we'll use rocks on the other side. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it made me me Mm. think about about that aspect. World War IV, uh, we're using sticks and stones and rocks, according to (laughs) Einstein and Mustaine. So... Um, and that brings us to the uh, the cover song on the album, Anarchy in the UK, Sex Pistols cover, played 526 times, not surprisingly. I think it was the first single and video for the album. But uh, Eric, what do you think about uh, the inclusion of this uh, this cover song on the album? It's kind of funny, Jason, because when I look back, I, I enjoyed this song more back in my youth 
Mm-hmm. Like now looking at it, like you know, I listened to it just yesterday. I, I'm looking at okay, they had a cover on each of their first three albums. Mustaine is such an insanely gifted songwriter. I never understood the logic. Maybe that was the record company's their call. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this is a solid but not spectacular cover. Um, the video, pretty much kind of what, what Jason was talking about. The video got plenty of airtime on MTV and probably much music up your way, which was positive for the band. You know, it's a good thing. It, it's a decent song. It's an odd choice, though, yeah. for a for a first single. Would you agree? Yes, you yeah. are 100% correct. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking there. That, I wonder if that must have been a record company uh, um choice so i'm not sure but odd but I, I'm, I'm with you i think initially i really loved it when i was young but now it just seems so pedestrian like it even just yeah it just doesn't have the balls of the original at all when you compare it to these boots are made for walking which i fucking love that cover because it's got a lot of balls <laughs> it's this, pretty neat yeah yeah yeah, it's, this, it's, yeah a bit weak in comparison what, what do you think of the song jim I, I agree. I think, you know, Anarchy's been done so much. I, these boots were a little bit more, you know, it was a little bit more off the beaten path. And I like, I, I usually don't like covers, but I like, like you have Voivod, you know, doing an astronomy to mine and they, they pick something kind of off the wall. And I mm-hmm. think that would have been better here. But this is, this reeks of a, like a, a record company sort of directive because it's a door opener song for new fans, you know, fans, who know, anarchy, you know, yeah. uh, a few years later, Motley Crue did a cover of it. Everybody's done mm-hmm. a cover of it, but releasing it as a first single, I think cheapens the album a little bit because there's so much, everything else on it's better than this. This is my least favorite track. And even Agreed. though Steve Jones played a solo on it, which is actually kind of cool, but on the flip side to that, you know, I, I liked it better when I was younger. Oh, yeah, as soon as I heard it, I knew it. And then it was just kind of now it's kind of like, eh, you know, and I think they could have put another another song. I'm sure they would have had something else written that they could have put in there. But this definitely reeks of a like a record company uh, directive for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I got yeah. a quote from uh, Mustang on this, too. It's kind of funny. Um he said, I think the best part about that song was the fact that we did have an original living, breathing Sex Pistol come in and play yeah. on it. Sitting on his guitar t- case, he came in and he wanted $100 and some <laughs> suction, suction, slang term for guess what. And I said, Mustang said, dude, it's going to cost you more than $100 to get suction out of us. So we gave him a phone book and $1,000 and told him to go get it himself. <laughs> oh that's great yeah that's an awesome uh awesome story oh, um goodness. that brings us to mary jane only played surprisingly 55 times which wow. crazy to me. oh man that's cool terrible thing. yeah oh. jim what do you think mary jane oh, this is easily my second or third favorite song on the album i mean this in my mind could have been a king diamond song like the writing on it, maybe a little bit longer with King on there would have been so cool because it's the exact, you know, it's about a witch being buried alive, you know, and I have a really yeah. good attachment to this because she was buried alive in Loon Lake and I live on Lake Loon. So, I mean, oh, this is, this, this oh, is wow. awesome. <laughs> and my wife could easily be the witch anyways. Uh, she won't <laughs> But I mean, I, I absolutely love this. I mean, the descending guitar, where I've read that 
was was they were trying to you know it was the act of summoning her spirit and um again it's just it's got a great story to it and i think that it's a great doomy kind of just got that that great story to it and it's like i I just liken it to a king diamond tune or even a you know this could be a whole album uh done on 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 a plot of this for sure and i i i absolutely like it it's probably my third maybe on some days my second favorite on this album but a wicked wicked song and an underrated song i think yeah yeah i would agree with that eric what do you think yeah, um, this is definitely a gem. Um, the song has a different vibe than the other tunes on the CD, in my opinion. Uh, it has a much more melodic approach with Dave nearly keening in the beginning. Um, I can see where Jim's going with the uh, with the KD, with King Diamond in the beginning. I never would have thought about that, but I could see how that'd be fitting and obviously the lyrics. Yeah. But um, yeah, Mustaine, he seems already, you know, this is track four. He seems a little little bit vulnerable here as well. Um, but it, it's a it's a rock solid song. Um, the tempo change and uh, more importantly, the sliding and crunchy power chords are absolutely brilliant towards the end of the song. And when the song ended yesterday, I mean, like you two, I've listened to this album countless times, but the song ends and I'm like, hey, I want more. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah It's just yeah. over four minutes long. I'm like, come on, guys, I'd like to hear some more. But I, I get it. You know, I've heard this a few times. It's over. <laughs> But yeah. you're disappointed, you know, at least I was. Absolutely. I definitely agree yeah. that it could have been lengthened for sure. And it would have uh, had more impact. I think it's an incredibly moody song and a slow burner. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the coolest tracks on the album. I, I wonder when this was written, because to me, it seems like maybe this was written during Peace Cells because it would have fit really mm. well with like yes. the Conjuring, Good yep. Morning, Black Good Friday. Call. Mm-hmm. wake up dead yeah it just has that mm-hmm. dark dark tone to it that uh, those songs have but uh yeah we're all agreed awesome song um which brings us to the next one awesome or not awesome 502 <laughs> what do you got eric 502 so when a song starts off pull over shithead this is the cops if this doesn't <laughs> get your attention nothing will yeah yeah <laughs> the Agreed. chorus shows that uh, Dave, with his mixture of confidence and arrogance, his vocals are a perfect fit here. Um, the speedy palmated pull-offs fit the attitude of the lyrics during that chorus. I mean, they are blazing. This is where I do love popping in those earbuds. I don't know how often you guys do this, but when you have the earbuds in, they're just some, there's more, there are different layers that you can really pick up on. And mm-hmm. I'm like, these guys are really guns blazing during the chorus. They're not holding back. They don't care if it's busy, but it just it just fits the attitude of the song and Dave's lyrics. Um, the early solo provides some really slick uh, tapping. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool tune. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a different one for them. Uh, I guess thematically, uh, what do you think, Jim? Oh, I agree totally. This is a definitely a, another face melter, and like like Eric said, right out of the start. I mean fast cars you know it's the code for drunk driving in uh in california and coincidentally you know i think mustaine a year later ran into a police car so you know he kind of drunk so he kind of lived this so so definitely some truth to that after the fact but uh you know a wicked wicked song and i agree like i've been spinning this album you know obviously i I listen to it quite a bit but over the weekend i've been spinning it just get kind of getting ready and with my earbuds on 
this has the layers agree with eric 100 percent. this is my second favorite song on the uh on the album and I, again another underrated gem i think people gravitate towards sort of the hits off this album but that one there is is definitely a solid song i i wonder how much mustang likes it because it's only been played five times oh my <laughs> gosh wow yeah <laughs> Which is odd to me because just as we we're talking about, this would be a great song fucking live. You know, yeah, like it just had that vicious. Yeah, yeah. So really, really, really surprising five times. But uh, yeah, I'd love to pick Mustaine's brain about that one. Um, and this brings us to, in my opinion, one of Megadeth's uh, greatest tracks ever written in my darkest hour, played, not surprisingly, 1365 times now Ooh. i'm gonna i'm gonna you're gonna take the lead on this one uh eric tell us about in my darkest hour your thoughts on this track i appreciate it jason this uh yes i mean i'm i'm with you on this um but you know not only is this like my favorite piece off of this album it's a top three megadeth song for me all time uh mustaine's creativity composition lyrics and vocals, they coalesce. I mean, talk about mm -hmm. gelling. It's just incredible. Um, the intro utilizes an E minor nine chord with some single note riffing, uh, which gives us an inkling of what's in store for the mm -hmm. listener. Um, the uh, verse rhythm has a slow yet punctuated triplet crunch riff. It's a little bit slower than most of the uh, other tracks <laughs> on this album. Uh, the vocals are spoken from Dave's soul and are spot on. Uh, the the uh, rhythm guitar echoes the tension within the lyrics um there's some absurdly difficult single note riffing during the bridge which begins i walk alone you guys know that part yep. throughout oh, the yeah. main guitar solo the alternate picking and whammy bar obliteration is some of mustaine's finest work to date the delay effect adds another layer to his second solo um and then just something i kind of finished up on mustaine i remember reading this actually back in the day too but Mustaine had said in an interview that Cliff Burton's death was an inspiration for the song. Mm -hmm. However, he went on to say the, that the lyrics were about an ex-girlfriend that didn't care about him, yet he felt she was part of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I read that too. His former ex-girlfriend, uh, ex Diana, who uh, he sung about or spoke about a few times. I think he mentions her on um, Wake Up Dead. And uh, I think in a couple of other tracks later on, Tornado of Souls, Trust, and Wake Up Dead, I think are three tracks where mm -hmm. she's mentioned. So I think things went pretty sour <laughs> with that relationship. Um, yeah. uh, what, what do you think about this track, Jim? Uh, this is one of the most identifiable Megadeth. This is Megadeth. I mean, this is an awesome, awesome song. Um, you know, apparently... Mustaine wrote the song in one sitting so he just went ahead and, and and just wrote it and it flowed it's got kind of for me it's got kind of a and, and saying this with Megadeth is really weird but it's kind of a bit of a doomish sound to it and I really like it I think you know they could have done a lot more of this uh, especially in these earlier albums but it's you can really feel sort of the angst he's going through I mean it's it's written it's he sings it from the heart and i think it's 100 percent truthful and i think he he you feel it as a fan and i think that's why so many people love this song and it's as eric said it's probably in my top five all-time megadeth songs one of this is my favorite song on the album and uh, i mean i absolutely love it when i spin megadeth 
this is usually one of the ones that follow first or second songs that I play. So uh, yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing song. And it never grows old. You know, I, I still, when I put That's it true. on. So true. Today, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how many years has it been now? I, I, do the math for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah 88. <laughs> so however many years I remember with my, my friends and I, we would put this track on and just spin it over and over and over. Yeah. And it'd be a group of us and we would just sing it with all the passion that Mustaine had. And even to this day, I still feel that passion in the song when I hear it now. It's like, and it's crazy to me, Jim, that you mentioned that he wrote it in one sitting. Eric, I want to yeah. get your thoughts on that. Like, as you mentioned, this song is so nuanced, just uh, it, musically. It, it is. And honestly, Does it blow you away the, that he wrote it? It, in it one completely sitting? blows me away. Um, so the intro alone, I worked on this with a guitar student many years ago when I used to teach guitar full time. And it was it was probably I probably had the most fun teaching this song out of any other song. And I did I did teach sight reading. So obviously there were some kind of mellower, slower moments or just some chords. But this was a fun song to teach. But just at the outset of the song, you have Dave Mustaine playing the clean guitar part and he has to stretch his fingers way out. I realize mm -hmm. this isn't a video, but I'm still doing the, uh, the shape here. And he does the arpeggiating and then there's a rhythm guitar underneath of it. Then he's doing the doing these single notes down the E minor scale and their accents. And it's like, hey, they haven't even started the riff, the pre-verse riff where they do the descending chromatic run, you know, and it's like, I mean, absolute genius. But Mustaine is a pioneer, you know, yeah. um, he, he's he's one of the best. But How that is that's most this, impressive. Yeah, mm -hmm. this let's let's talk about would you would you call this a ballad? I wouldn't call it a ballad per se. Do you think yeah. it fits that category? You yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to classify anything Megadeth as a ballad. I'm like, <laughs> but this is probably the closest thing you could get. You know, like Testament has a few ballads in their catalog. This this would, but this is so awesome. And I mean, you know, this would be online, and I hate comparing it, but this would be like Metallica fade to black kind of that right. sort of nuancey kind of feel to it although that tends that they both take off so i i think uh very similar to that in my in my opinion <laughs> yeah absolutely but, you I know agree. you know lyrically i could see this being labeled as a ballad uh i know i saw something years ago where somebody's like hey you know i love this in my darkest hour what a cool ballad by megadeth and i kind of shuddered at that maybe lyrically but um it's just it's just not one of those songs where you know they're they're hammering out 150 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, um, but it does have it does capture. I won't say more emotion because that's 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 not right. But it, it does have that that weight that Mustaine is feeling and the rejection and okay, it is is my life? You know, is your life going to be better when I'm gone? You know, mm -hmm. um, it it is a deep tune. Absolutely, yeah. I have to wonder when. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall when Metallica heard this song for the first time. <laughs> yeah. They had to have been floored. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What did we lose here? You know, like just genius. Yeah. Um, that brings us to Liar, which has been played 71 times total. Um, Jim, give us your thoughts, impressions. on. I, I, I really like this track and you know what, this is, I mean, it's, this is a diss track that, you know, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift would probably wish they had written about each other. I mean, like, I got to be honest with you, this is one hell of a diss track, uh, you know, against Chris Poland. And, uh, 
you know, he's brutal in it for the lyrics. Oh, yeah. I mean, he brings in his mm -hmm. parents and, and everything, but musically, I mean, it's a great track. And, uh, you know, it's all about the alleged stealing guitars and selling for drugs or whatever and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think musically it's a great song. I think it's a, another underrated song on this album. And, and uh, I love listening to this song. It's wicked. wicked. Yeah, I agree. It's one of my favorites. I, I have two favorites on this, this album. This is one of them. Um, Eric, thoughts on Liar? All right, so I'm not going to speak long because I'm 100% sure this is Jason's numero uno. Uh, the A minor <laughs> riff is swift, but is deliberately syncopated. You know, they're playing a lot on the upbeat. It's not as easy as it sounds. Let me share that with you. The chorus is simple and it's in your face. A good thing, I might add. Uh, the accents by David Ellison and Chuck Beller give this song an edge. Uh, the uh, rant, which begins, uh, start trouble, spread pain, piss and venom. And your veins is vintage Mustaine. Yeah. Jason, it's your turn. Yeah, I mean, this track, to me, it hit me the hardest, I think. Um, we all have those people in our lives. You know, we're, we're all guilty of being liars at some point. But you just have those people in your lives, you know, they just blatantly lie to your face. And, you know, when, when you find out their friends or loved ones or whoever, you know, you know how much I can hurt. And then just having Mustaine kind of, be that uh, voice for you for that frustration i mean when i was a teen this just really really stuck with me and i i love the mm -hmm. track um musically of course but i think thematically lyrically it was uh it really really caught my attention i'm gonna go back jim you said uh he there was no holds barred against uh poland um i'm gonna read a few of the lyrics just so people who may have not <laughs> heard the song uh kind of get an idea of just how vicious he was uh towards poland so it says, start trouble, spread pain, piss and venom in your veins, talk nasty, breathe fire, smell rotten, you're a liar, sweat liquor, breathe snot, eat garbage, spit blood, diseased health hazard, scumbag, filthy bastard, greasy face, teeth decay, hair matted, drunk all day, abscess, sunken veins, rock gun, scrambled, rock gut, scrambled veins, brains, steal money, crash cars, rob jewelry, hot guitars, rotten hell, it's time you know, to your master, off you go. I wonder, I always wondered who, who's, the, who's his master? Who's he referring to? to your master off you go i i never quite oh. understood who that he might have been referring that's definitely to. it's definitely different yeah 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 i i i wonder what poland thought of this <laughs> <laughs> oh, he probably man. wanted to cover his face yeah yeah <laughs> i'd under some covers for a few weeks yeah i you know back then i had no idea this was a diss track i just i just thought it was he was just talking about shitty people which i guess he was but yeah, definitely one of Mustaine's most vicious, vicious vocal performances ever. Uh, I think one thing I really like about the song is he tries some different things vocally that maybe he hasn't <laughs> done before. Um, you know, with the snarl, with with the um, with the cadence of his uh, of the lyrics and the vocals, it's uh, really interesting. I think uh, he did a really incredible job on this one vocally, one of his finest performances vocally. Um, and that brings us to. The last song, Hook and Mouth, played a total of 296 times, which absolutely blows my fucking mind because I love mm. this song. It's I love not enough. it to no end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jim, tell us about uh, Hook and Mouth. What do you think? Oh, this would be my 1B. My 1B tied with, uh, you know, In My Darkest Hour. This is a wicked song. I mean, 
you know, back in the day, dissing the PMRC like this, it's great. I love the drums on it. It's got such a groovy song and, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it's it's just awesome. And I love the, the, the lyrics in it where he spells out, you know, freedom. And I think that's awesome. It's just, it's a sign of the times. And, you know, saying it's only been played less than 300 times. I mean, you know, we talk, I think the whole album is massively underrated. I mean, I think possibly it fell between the two two big albums of P-Cells yeah. and uh, Rust and Peace. And maybe that's it. But this album is just as good as those two. And this song is, it, this is probably one of my top five songs uh, in their whole catalog. I love it that much. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, an incredible yeah. tune. Um, Eric, what do you, uh, what do you think about good old hook and mouth? Well, <clears throat> my thinking, and it uh, looks like I was correct on one part, but my thinking is that Jason and Jim will handle the lyrics um they're definitely <laughs> thought provoking and uh, and i i second that on the uh, the chorus section that's great uh that was very very uh brilliant of mr mustaine there uh spelling out freedom um i'll tackle the music here i actually played this song in a uh, thrash metal band called ground zero wow. the uh, rhythm playing on this track is aggressive and efficient uh i always like the lyrics and how dave sings you say you got the answers well who asked you anyway yeah. The uh, gang vocals during the chorus makes it shine. Uh, another example of how Mustaine's creativity, uh, him and Young have this call and response solo section, which repeats. Uh, it's quite thematic. Young's alternate speed pick solo is a highlight on the album, and Dave's tapping solo complements Young's. What a ripping closer. Now, I want to ask you, um, Eric, what do you think about Jeff Young as, as a a solo guitar player like in, in of all the the members that have been in megadeth where does he fall for you like as far as his talent and what he contributed to this album now that's a very good question i uh, just had a cat sneak down to the basement so i was uh multitasking <laughs> i was as i was listening to you um so you know his i think his his playing a it, it, it complimented mustangs as we talked about talked about a little bit earlier um but he was, he was definitely more of a speed picker where Mustaine does a little more of the legato, kind of the hammer on pull-offs. He does some trim lip picking, but Young, Young was definitely an efficient player. Um, he was definitely a straight ahead, you know, hard rock metal lead guitar player. Um, Marty Friedman's always going to be my favorite personally right. um, from the, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the lead guitarist in Megadeth. But um, I think he's, I think he did well. And I, you know what, just to kind of, to pile on, like both of you guys had said this, his guitar playing, his lead guitar playing is often overlooked much like the album is. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, uh, everyone talks about Marty Friedman, but I think Jeff Young is definitely a bit overlooked uh, uh, mm -hmm. as far as his contribution to Megadeth and uh yeah, a fantastic guitarist for sure. Uh, I really love this song, the the bass and drums uh, on this. Uh, you know, it opens up with just the bass and drums, which to me, I, I don't think I had ever heard anything in thrash uh, where just bass and drums open a song. It was kind of unheard of at that time, as far as I knew, um, yet it still managed to sound awesome. And it just really fucking, it really pumped the song up. Or like it really, it just... Uh, it was really, really cool, and uh, I love all the bottom end and low end in this song. Um, yeah, so I think we're in agreement that uh, this album is pretty, 
Pretty awesome. Any uh, closing thoughts on so far, so good, so what, guys? Hmm. Uh, I just think it's, uh, I mean, this is a solid album, and I think it does does get lost in those three. And, um, you know, it, it definitely deserves a lot more love. But, you know, got to play more of this live. I mean, uh, I saw Megadeth quite in May. And, you know, they, they only, I believe only one song off of this album made it there. And, and that's, you know, that's that's the, a bit of the problem as well, too. Yeah. I'd like to see a lot of these more, I guess you could consider them deeper tracks. Although in my playlist, some of these, like this whole, almost this whole album uh, would make a top playlist for me. Maybe even more so than a lot of the stuff on Countdown to Extinction, which I consider Megadeth's Black Album. But it was much better than the Black Album. Um, but that's what that's what I I kind of you know it was much more polished. It was radio, you know, it was radio, it was video friendly. I think I'd rather hear a lot more of this stuff than than a lot of that. So. And what would you rate the album, Jim? Oh, I'd give it a good nine, nine and a half out of ten. Um, my ten out of ten would be Rust and Peace, and even my uh, even Peace Cells. This would be right behind it. Um, but I gotta be honest, really, I've played it probably about six times this weekend and I'm really back into it. And I, I love the fact that I get to do a little bit of due diligence when we do these things. And then it kind of brings me back to like, geez, I haven't listened to this in a while, the whole yeah. thing. So mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. it's going to be spinning for me now, probably in the, for the next few months. So I appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. And, and Eric, what, how, how would you rate this album? I initially gave this album an eight, but I feel like it's more deserving of like an eight, eight point five, eight and a half. Um, you know, it, it, it's an excellent album. I, I really like it. And um, I didn't spend it as much as uh, Jim did. I did listen to a few tracks more than once yesterday, but it did, uh, you know, it did kind of bring back uh, kind of that, that feeling. And um, yeah, it's it, it's uh, spoiler alert. It's definitely in my top ten from uh, albums from 1988. It's a really <laughs> strong album, and yeah, I don't know. I like I I do wonder with Metallica and Megadeth fans, and you know, sometimes I'm sure like all three of us, we like we, you know we like both bands, but I do wonder if Justice just took so much of the attention away from so far. You you hate to think that, but that's just something that just dawned on me. Well, what do you guys really think about point. that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think uh, they they both came out relatively within months of each other. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, I I think just just is just a monster of an album, and mm -hmm. I think the just having um, the backing from the label that Metallica had at that point, and yeah. all the touring they did. I don't know if Megadeth toured as much as Metallica did for Justice on this. Maybe that was part of it. Um, I just I think Metallica was just a beast that couldn't be beaten at that point, um, and it did get lost I think uh, uh, in its shadow for sure. Um, so, Eric, had have you seen Megadeth live, and how many times? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, the Clash of the Titans show was cool. Um, I'm trying to think if I saw them four times. I want to say. And uh, you guys might chuckle. And actually, I really like this band. But so it was kind of a, a different kind of mixture. They played at a place called uh, uh, Jiffy Lube Live um, uh, here in Virginia. And so the lineup was Motley Crue was the headliner, <laughs> Anthrax, and Megadeth. And How far I was back excited. 
I was excited. So this is 2000, I want to say 2001, right. um, yep. 2000, 2001. So I was excited mostly about Megadeth and Anthrax. Uh, I like some of the older crew, but I was really pumped for those two, really. Um, and it ended up that Anthrax had dropped out. And for about 10 seconds, I was like, oh, man, that just sucks, you know? And then I was like, well, wait a minute. Megadeth's going to play twice as long. I'm freaking stoked <laughs> over here. So, And they That's did, awesome. and they absolutely, they absolutely killed it. And then Motley Crue came on, and they were fine. But I was like, oh, gosh, I wish Megadeth would have played the whole show. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. Uh, how about you guys? How, how often have you seen uh, you guys seen Megadeth? I think the first time I saw them was with Judas Priest on the Painkiller Tour. So that would have nice. been for Rust Good tour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I, I saw them for Clash of Titans, like you mentioned, uh, with Slayer, Alice in Chains, and well, who's the other one? Testament. Was it was it Testament? For, oh, it was Testament. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, for me, it was Anthrax in Canada. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't Testament, which is odd. But uh, I would have preferred it being Testament. But um, yeah, I think those are the... No, I saw them later on too so maybe i've caught them three times but the earliest was uh on painkiller and they they were fucking awesome at that point yeah jim the earliest you saw them i saw so i saw them i've seen them twice i've just seen them in may past and they were awesome and i saw them i think in 2009 or 2010 for the 30th anniversary of rust in peace and they co-headlined with slayer for the 30th anniversary of seasons so Oh, okay. It was, uh, I think it was Slayer, Megadeth ended the show, Slayer, Testament was there, they came instead of Machine Head, and Suicide Silence opened, oh. <laughs> excuse me, opened the concert, so it was a wicked, wicked show, and uh, no, it was phenomenal, two of my favorite, ba- three of my favorite bands with Testament, so, and Suicide Silence was really cool, um, cool. but that's, I've seen them, I've seen them twice, and they, they're just awesome. Yeah, yeah, uh, oh yeah, my rating of this album. I'm going to have to give it today. I'm going to, I would say I would have given it a 10 back in 88, but uh, I would probably go with a nine now. Yeah. A nine solid album. Love it. All right. This brings us to our top 10 albums of 88. I'm wondering how much overlap we're going to have here. Cause there was a, a lot of great albums this year. A lot of great oh, thrash yeah. albums. A lot of yeah, great it was hard work. Metal albums. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but fun. But fun. Um, Jim, why don't you run us through your uh, top 10 first, starting with number okay. 10. <laughs> awesome. Well, I was 17, uh, and I, you know, it, it was awesome. What an awesome year. So number 10, I go with Testament, The New Order, Wicked Album. Love those early, earlier uh, Testament albums. Uh, number nine, Suicidal Tendencies, How Can I Laugh Tomorrow When I Can't Even Smile Today. Oh, I Huge Suicidal Tendency fan. Yeah, I'm a huge suicidal tendency fan. Love Trip of the Brain and How Can I Laugh. Those are classics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Then I would Man, go I with uh, number eight. I would go with King Diamond, Them. Huge King Diamond fan. This is probably my third favorite King Diamond album. Absolutely love it. What's your first? Uh, favorite. First would be Abigail, 100%. Okay. Is yeah, uh, yeah. Conspiracy I, in there? Conspiracy is number two. <laughs> number two. Okay, cool. Yeah. Phenomenal guitar playing. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Love <laughs> those albums. Number seven would be Halloween, Keeper 2. I mean, gotta have Halloween in there. Number six, uh, you know, Death, Leprosy. 
love death huge death fan this was a wicked album and uh just was amazing number five i'm gonna go with maiden seventh son another awesome album and i got to see them on this tour uh this would have been the second last time i saw maiden and i just it blew me away they were awesome and i love that album um and you know it's jason's backdrop so that's that's cool too so <laughs> there you go I had to give him some love there number four I got to go with Metallica Justice. Uh, this is my fourth favorite Metallica album, but I, this was the first time I saw them. I saw them, I think, in May of this year, uh, of that year. And, I mean, they just blew me away. Queensryche opened for them for, uh, I think, Operation Mindcrime. Yeah, I So saw it was tour. a wicked, yeah. wicked tour. Oh, you saw them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah. Huh. Then I would go with number three, this album, Megadeth. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of love for this album. Number two and number one were so hard. So I was fighting over this. Uh, number two, one of my favorite bands of all time, Voivod, Dimension, Hatros. I am a huge Voivod fan. This is my favorite Voivod album. Uh, you know, it was m- my number 11th on my top 50. Wow. I just love this album. My number one has to go to my favorite Slayer album of all time, South of Heaven. I love Slayer. Love this album. But I'm talking like it's my favorite. So that's a 10 out of 10. So is Rain and Blood's a 10 out of 10. I just for some reason <laughs> gravitate towards Show No Mercy's a 10 out of 10. You know, yeah. Rain and Blood's a 10 out of 10. Haunting the Chapel. Exactly. Yeah. I love. So those are my top of 1988. And I mean, I absolutely love all those albums. Those are some good picks. Some good picks. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I forgot about Suicidal and Voivod. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they didn't make mine. Um, Eric, what do you got? Top 10. So uh, are we allowed to do honorable mentions after we do our ratings? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. I so number, it. this was, like I said, this was, this was quite a challenge. I told Blake, I was like, man, I really have my homework cut out for me. This was quite a year. Like you hit it on it, Jason. There a lot of great thrash albums and some, some other material that was killer. So number 10 for me was Ozzy, No Rest for the Wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Really, really dig the uh, edge that Zach Wilde brings to uh, brought to, to Ozzy's band. Um, that was his funny. first album, right? With it was. Ozzy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So number nine, I actually listened to this album today. They were actually going to fall out of my top ten, and I said, "Nope, can't happen." So it's going to be Anthrax, State of Euphoria. Great album. Um, yeah. It's a, just a very just hyper drive album. Not as great as Among the Living. There are not many albums on this planet that are as good as Among the Living, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> number eight, we have King Diamond, Them. Uh, some of my absolute favorite guitar playing uh, on this, you know, in this world, man. Uh, so good. Uh, King's actually underrated for his rhythm playing. He he writes all those riffs, man. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. The other guys, so whoever else it is, LaRoque, Black, they do the soloing. Um, Number seven, uh, we're, we're definitely going to have some overlap here, Jim. So we got some How Will I Laugh tomorrow, and I can't even smile today. Nice, nice. Uh, I was raking leaves last weekend, and I was like, oh, this song is just hitting me, man. This the album's so good, uh, beginning to end. Uh, Mike Muir definitely has kind of a different delivery. Rocky George, just blistering, man. He's pretty underrated. Um, yeah. Let's see, number six. Uh, I feel like I have to almost switch these two up, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay true to my list. So number six is so far so good. So what 
Um, we've discussed this ad nauseum. It is, it's a complete album. Uh, I did look at the time time length the other day. It's isn't it? It's just under thirty five minutes, isn't it? It's Short. it's shorter than what I remember, you yeah. know. Um, and I won't say that's a negative, but I was just like, gosh, this is a short album, but it's so good. You don't think uh, that you don't pick no. up on that when listening to it. It feels it's so dense. It just feels longer. I think you know. And, yeah. and the funny thing is, yeah, the funny thing is, just the other day I just listened to Halloween Keeper Part Two, and and that one's actually at number five for me. Um, just love a lot of the twin harmony playing on there and Kiski's whoo. He's hitting some notes that are out there in the stratosphere. Uh, number four, it didn't, I got to say, it didn't really grab me a whole lot a couple of weeks ago, but I, I listened to justice and justice is, a, is just, it, it is a monumental album. Yeah. You got to give the boys some credit. I wish the bass was a little higher in the mix, but um, I think it's a, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's metal, it's prog Metallica. I mean, they have, Epic, lengthy songs, orchestrations, excellent. Um, number three, we got to go with my all-time favorite band, Iron Maiden, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Mm. It receives a little too much hate, in my opinion. Mm. I get it, synthesizers, but the band sounds great. Um, production's good. I don't think it's ever done personally. Somewhere in time, I thought it was a little overproduced, but mm -hmm. Seventh Son, the songwriting is just, just, I mean, it's so damn good, man. Agreed. The Evil That Men Do, Clairvoyant, you know, the title track. That's one of my, that's a top 10 for me. Um, number two, uh, got to get back to a little bit of thrash here. Um, I was listening to this at, of all places. I was actually at school on my lunch break, had the earbuds <laughs> in and uh, had to crank up a little bit of Testament here. The New Order, that is a top five thrash album for me of all time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, man, you got Eric Peterson, you got Skolnick, the whole band, Chuck Billy. Oh, man. What can you say about that guy? Um, I actually met those guys in Baltimore uh, before I, I saw them on the New Order tour. And, man, I, it was it was a treat, man. They were awesome. I was 19 years old, and, and Alex Skolnick gives me a beer on the tour bus. I was like, I'm looking around. That's um, amazing. Uh, are there any cops around I'm looking around and I'm like, all right, cool. And you know, all, all's good. I have an autograph somewhere up in my closet. He, he signed it, but uh, what, what an excellent album, man. It's, it's Very great cool. because it's, it's thrashy. It's got so much aggression, but it has a unique vibe to it. And then they have those clean, like sakes, these little sections and this great lead playing. And I just, I love the contrast. I thought and it took a lot of, took a lot of guts to be able to do that um, and it's a heavy fucking album too it's oh my it's, gosh yeah it's brilliant give me you know just give me disciples of the watch man just just let's just spin it rotate it oh yeah keep it going you know <laughs> over and over yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh number one for me they're they're not they're, they haven't been the most consistent bands but uh back in the day they were one of my tops queen strike operation mind crime this oh, to yeah. me is a perfect album lyrically musically I get it. Some people aren't into the vocals. Uh, I always like Jeff Tate a lot. Um, Jeff Tate's cool, but he he just he delivers on this album. It's it's a really, it's a really. I, I guess it doesn't sound cool, but it's a very clever or smart, like prog rock slash metal album. But there's it has some teeth to it. It certainly does. The songs speak. I uh, remember I learned that on guitar. Um, but I mean, it's such a great album. Um, I mean, I gave Blake my, my top album of all time is Iron Maiden, Power Slave. It could very well be Operation Mind Crime. I could fill in a few other albums being a number one, but 
for me, it's going to be mine crime for 1988. That's a, and that's that's a good list. Good mm-hmm. list. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, a uh, little bit of overlap, but not, you <laughs> both had some unique yeah. picks there for sure. Yeah. Um, for me, this was a tough year. Um, I'm, I'm coming at it as, as it's 1988. So I had yet to hear death metal at this point. So I'm not going to include any death metal in my top 10, even though I probably would if I were, uh, um, you know, if I weren't just focusing on that year specifically as me being in that year, if you know what I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. So number 10 would be Nuclear Assault Survive. Nice. Love that album. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Brainwashed, killer, killer track. I think there was a video for it that used to spin on um mtv mtv's headbangers ball is probably where i first heard it i remember there's a scene in there where they're sitting in front of bleaker bob bob's records and i think it's new york uh but yeah very uh popular record store it has that really cool cover of good times bad times by zeppelin awesome awesome cover uh just a really great great nuclear assault album uh number nine would be man of war kings of metal fucking love that album so epic i mean from the cover art just to just some of the songs on there like sting of the bumblebee the instrumental mm-hmm. um heart of steel kings of metal wheels of fire blood of the kings an epic like eight minute track the last track on the album just a really fucking cool album um and ross the boss man can't beat that guy just love that album still love it to this day uh number eight I don't know what you guys are gonna think of this one, but I fucking love this album, and I get a lot of a lot of shit for loving it. But uh, Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost Cold Lake, oh. I fucking <laughs> okay. love that album. Let me explain. Even though it's a much hated album, I think it's the perfect blend of that dark proto black metal that mm-hmm. uh, Celtic Frost is known for. But then they obviously mix in that very odd take on hair metal. Yeah. And I think it, it creates this really dark, moody atmosphere that just no one it doesn't. It sounds like nothing ever before. Like whoever thought you could mash up, you know, that proto black metal of Celtic Frost and hair metal and make it work. Many people don't think it works, but I think it does. Uh, and cool. what I like about it is every time I hear it, I don't know if I hate it or love it, which is an odd thing because it's so unsettling. But uh, it just, I can just sit down and listen to it any time of the day. And uh, let's not tell my friends about that one because they tease me all the time about it. But um, <laughs> number seven would be Sword, Sweet Dreams from Montreal, the Montreal nice. Sword. Fucking love that album. Um, I think it's one of their their best albums. It has uh, FTW on it, which I don't know if you guys, do you guys know that track, Follow the Wheels? Mm-hmm. Follow the Wheels. Of I do not. No, oh man, you got to check that, these guys out. Killer, yeah. killer band from Canada. Very uh, underrated band. Number six would be uh, Anthrax State of Euphoria. I think this is Anthrax so far, so good. So what? I think it's a really overlooked album. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well yeah. said. I don't know why. It's got some of their best songs on it, in, in my opinion. Um, you know, Be Who All Cares Wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Misery loves company, schism. It's finale. A really, I yeah, love finale. the closing track. That's one of the Anti-social. best closing tracks, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, it, coming off of spreading the disease and among the living, and I'm the man EP. 
you know, th those three uh, three releases were huge for them. This one was a bit different. Well, a, a lot different. It was a, uh, and the album art I don't think uh, really helped it. It has some odd artwork, um, but uh, I think as a whole package, it uh, it works for me. Um, and number five, Testament. You guys said everything that I was going to say about this album. Just a phenomenal fucking album. I think it's their best album by far. Um, love that album. And then Slayer, South of Heaven, of course, an incredible album. Jim, you nailed it with every point. I completely agree on that album. Number three, I think you and I uh, had this the same one here, Eric, uh, Iron Maiden, Seventh Son. Um, I love it so much that I got it tattooed on my arm as a birthday gift from my dad when I turned 16. Um, oh, wow. And my dad got it too. So we both sat down and got the same tattoo which was that album cover and still have it to this day. So a lot of uh, fond memories. My dad's not with us any longer, but dad, mm -hmm. I know you're listening. Um, one of his favorite albums. And we saw this tour as well. Um, and I think Anthrax opened for this tour, if I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome tour and great album. Uh, Megadeth is number two. So far, so good. So what? We covered it all here. Uh, and number one would be Metallica and Justice for All. And I think you uh you nailed it eric when you said metallica prog that's my favorite metallica is metallica prog uh, <laughs> i wish we had more metallica prog i yearn no for doubt. it every single day i love this album go back to it all the time um and like you mentioned uh jim i saw that tour as well it yeah. blew my fucking mind my dad took me to it and i just i couldn't believe the energy of this oh, yeah. uh, of this concert it just not it's it's probably my favorite concert of all time and it was just purely based off the crowd interaction and the band's interaction with the crowd i've never never been to a show so energized it was just unbelievable mm -hmm. and queen is like we're fucking awesome too they opened. yeah they were yeah yeah mm -hmm. um but yeah that's it that's our top tens of 88 i think uh we did good guys nice nice awesome. yeah it was fun Hey, can I yeah. slip in those honorable mentions? Or we oh, yeah. Time? Yep. Nope. I'll, do it. I'll be quick about it. I really won't talk about any of the albums. But, yeah, it was kind of a, I guess it might be a little criminal. But, you know, uh, Slayer South of Heaven is is certainly one of them. Uh, that was a very influential album on me and my youth. Um, Ingve Odyssey. I felt like oh, there was some yeah. really strong songwriting on that one. Uh, longtime Armored Saint fan, Saints Will Conquer. It's a live album. Uh, Overkill, Under the Influence, yes. about some shred, um, Man of War, Kings of Metal. Um, this one's more uh, for your, uh, I guess, guitar virtuosos out there. Vinnie Moore, Mind's Eye. It's a very musical uh, album. I, I highly recommend it. I've been meaning to go back and spin it. But um, he's he's not, he, he's he's in the vein of Ingve, but I, I, get, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm going to get like slashed or something, but um it feels a little more musical than some of the Ingbe stuff. It's not quite all the blistering sex tuplets, but mm -hmm. it's very musical. It's great. But and just so many, so many strong albums. Crimson Glory were on my list. They got bumped thanks to Anthrax. Um, Transcendence, uh, some really high pitched shrieking on there. I love the uh, song arrangements. Sanctuary, Refuge Denied. Oh, kind of yeah. like King Diamond Fuck. on steroids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I forgot about that um, one. Yeah, yeah, I really love the 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 songwriting on that one. Um, Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, I guess it hasn't. They haven't aged really. 
that well, but no place for disgrace. Disgrace, pardon me. That's the wicked. Yeah, the, the title track's great. I live, you die. I mean, there, there are some really good ones on there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Those are definitely some killer honorable mentions. I can't believe I forgot Overkill under the influence. That's another one I got <laughs> tattooed on me when I was like 16 nice. or 17. So uh, I just got it re like a month ago, got it covered up because it was looking pretty haggard. But uh, yeah, awesome <laughs> album. All right, guys, we're at an hour and a half. We should probably wrap this up. Uh, it was fun talking to you. Um, I'm glad we got Likewise. to finally. Yeah. Same. And uh, hopefully the three of us can do this again um so we're gonna wrap it up and we'll just say again please visit our website at the metal pit um at www.themetalpit.org and again you can follow us on facebook instagram at the metal pit and for lots of those awesome interviews and video shorts and audio versions of this podcast uh head over to the youtube channel at metal pit 666 and uh yeah we'll be back with another one next week i don't know what it is yet but uh i'm sure it'll be an awesome one I think that's it. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.